Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Playing Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of the Indigenous Art Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Anita Fields. Born in Oklahoma, Anita Fields is a contemporary Native American multidisciplinary artist of Osage heritage. She is known for her works which combine clay and textiles with Osage knowledge systems. Fields explores the intricities of cultural influences at the intersections of balance and chaos found within our existence, explaining that the power of transformation is realized by creating various forms of clothing, coverings, landscapes, and figures. The works become indicators of how we understand our surroundings and visualize our place within the world. In this way, the early Osage concepts of duality, such as the earth and the sky, male and female, are represented throughout her work. Her sculptures have been featured in many solo and group exhibitions, including the 2020 and 2021 Weaving History into Art, the Enduring Legacy of Sean Goldshorn, the Gilcrease Museum, Form and Relation, Contemporary Native Ceramics, Hood Museum, Dartmouth College, and the 2018-2020 Hearts of Our People, Minneapolis Institute of Art, and the 2018 Art for a New Understanding, Native Voices, 1950s to Now, at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. Her sculptures have been the feature of many solo and group exhibitions, including the 2020 and 2021 Weaving History into Art, The Enduring Legacy of Sean Goshorn, the Gilcrease Museum, Form and Relation, Contemporary Native Ceramics, Hood Museum, Dartmouth College, the 2018-2020 Hearts of Our People, from the Minneapolis Institute of Arts, and the 2018 Art for a New Understanding, Native Voices, 1950s to Now, at Crystal Bridges Museum of America. Her work has also been included in Who Stole the Teepee at the National Museum of the American Indian, Smithsonian in New York, and in 1997, Legacy of Generations, Honor of American Indian Women at the National Museum of Women and the Arts, Washington, D.C., Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. Her work can be found in several collections, such as the Museum of the American Indian, the Smithsonian, the Museum of Art and Design in New York City, the Minneapolis Institute of Art, Dartmouth College, New Hampshire, and the Herb Museum in Arizona. Fields was a 2017-2019 Fellow of the Kaiser Foundation Tulsa Artist Fellowship Program and is currently the 2020-2023 Tulsa Artist Fellowship Integrated Arts Grant Awardee. Fields was an invited artist for the 2021 Middle York Museum of Contemporary Art Fellowship. Fields was recently named in the 2021 National Endowment of the Arts Fellowship Fellow, Heritage Fellow, and a 2021 Anonymous was awarded. In 2022, she received the Francis J. Greenberg this podcast is hosted in part by First American Art Magazine, the leading journal of Native arts, which is celebrating its 10-year anniversary covering ancestral, historical, and living arts by Indigenous peoples of the Americas. Let's jump into this conversation with Anita Fields. Anita, thank you so much for joining us on Five Playing Questions. This is really, really great to have you here. Well, thank you for having me, Joe. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I am too. I am too. Um, would you be able to introduce yourself? Uh, tell us about your backgrounds, where you're from, and what it is that you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Anita Fields. I was born on the Osage Reservation and lived there till I was about, um, oh, second, third grade, and 
My family moved to Denver, Colorado because my dad wanted to pursue being um, a guide and outfitter in the mountains there. And we did that, but it was um, really difficult. My mom was very lonesome. So we made a move back and forth, you know, between Oklahoma and Denver for um, a couple of years and then settled there in Denver. And I went to, you know, the rest of my grade school and high school there in Denver. Um, all our relatives though, you know, were back in Oklahoma. So there was these regular trips. Uh, oh, sometimes we jump in the car Friday evening, you know, after my dad got off work. My dad was also a, a pipe fitter. And so, and then we'd make this mad rush to Oklahoma. And now that I think about it, I think, my gosh, it was only like, we were only there like Saturday and the Sunday afternoon, you know, and then we'd dash back to Colorado. And I thought that's, that's pretty good loading up a car, you know, with all these kids and everything and uh, making that dash back and forth. So those are kind of my memories of that, that, you know, of, of having that um, connection for them to be able to come home. And after I left, um, after, after I graduated from high school, you know, I went to uh, a few I've been to a whole bunch of colleges and everything pursuing my art education and ended up in the Institute of American Indian Arts. Um, but, you know, at the Institute of American Indian Arts, we were really encouraged to try everything, every medium, uh, so that we would find our place. And I feel like that gave us, and it was very experiential, you know, at that time, early 70s. So I feel like that... Um, grounding really gave me a good uh, feel for multidisciplinary types of work and just having enough knowledge you know in a lot of areas you know really helped to find the one thing that I you know feel like I was really passionate about and that I felt like really worked for me so I feel like that was the advantage of you know going to school there so right now um, I'm primarily doing uh, clay and I have been doing that for, oh my gosh, I tell people, you know, I said since I was in my early, you know, like almost 50 years, um, just short of 50 years. And I also do textiles, which is very connected to my grandmother was a great seamstress, my mom's mom. And she had, I mean, she could go in a store and look at something and she could come home and make the pattern. You know, the kind of skills people, it's hard for people to have today because of time. She she had those skills and it really impressed me when I was even a very young child. So she had this, she always had this basket of scraps, you know, by her sewing machine. And so I just, I asked her, I was like six, you know, or something like that. I said, would you teach me how to sew? She goes, I'm going to teach you how to sew with the needle and thread first. And so I had this little rubber doll from, you know, the dime store. And I just sat down and started making all these really wonderful clothes for it. And just finding things around the house to glue on there, you know, to embellish. Like I remember she had a, a coat and then I put cotton balls all around, you know, the top and the, along the, arms. <laughs> so I was always finding things and gluing them on there or sewing them on there, you know, to embellish them. And I, I'm pretty certain that, you know, my love for textiles, my love for working with materials and fabric and um, really stem from that kind of experience of, you know, learning how to do things when I was really young.
same thing for clay. We, you know, when uh, part of the time that when I was young and we were in Oklahoma, my dad built a home on um, my great grandfather's allotment, original allotment. And so just out there in the country and I, you know, my memory is, you know, I'm sure you've been to Oklahoma in the summer. It's really hot here. And so, <laughs> you know, I have these memories of sitting out there in the heat and uh, just mixing, you know, mud up and making these little mud pies and that kind of thing and uh, just creating that way. So I was always the kind of kid that just was drawn to uh, making things. And, you know, there wasn't anybody telling me this is, there's a right way to do this. There's a wrong way to do this. It was just nurturing something within myself that, um, fortunately, I get to use, you know, as an adult. I think um, that connectiveness, that it, it keeps you to your family, right? Um, the the mm-hmm. sewing and sharing that space with your mother and your grandmother, um, you know, it's, yeah, it keeps it very close, but also working with the clay, um, it, it's sort of a memory of land, you know, that, I, yeah. that you grew up on. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. I, yeah. And um, with uh, the summers in Oklahoma, I, I went to basic training at Fort Sill and in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So I quite know the, <laughs> I quite know the, the, the weather uh, in the summertime there. <laughs> I think it's even a little bit hotter there. <laughs> And, you know, all of, I mean, it gets hot here. People, I don't think they quite understand how brutal it can be. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about your influences then. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. growing up uh, early on, who were your your biggest influences and who and what's influencing you today? Okay. My dad was definitely a huge influence uh, for me. He was the type of person who was very positive and uh, always told you to dream big and that you can do anything you want and um, that nothing's nothing's too big, you know, that, that you can absolutely make things happen for yourself. And, and you know, when I think about it today, I kind of think that, you know, he was really talking about um, that inner kind of motivation you know, that it takes to pursue something when it can be very difficult to actually do those things. And of course, you know, I had really strong aunties and grandmother and uh, these women, you know, in the uh, Osage community that I, that uh, were very outspoken and I got to drive around with them a lot. My grandmother, she drove a lot of these ladies around uh, because some of them were, you know, a little bit older than her and they belonged to organizations like the, you know, war mothers, uh, all the, all the districts at home have chapters for the American war mothers. And I call it, you know, they were indigenizing things way back then. in the, you know, in the, in the as early as the thirties, you know, making these clubs that are American in root, but, um, indigenizing them so that they had a way to honor their soldiers when they came home or went off to war. And so uh, I attended a lot of those activities with them, dances, hand games, social events, fundraisers, and got to ride in the car with them, you know, when they would be going around. And so, you know, it was, they're great memories to have of them 
uh, and Osage was their first language for you know all of the all of the folks at that time, and so getting to them to hear to hear them speak to each other and laugh and and visit and uh, they they had a huge impression on me, you know when I was when I was a kid and and also they were all very loving at the same time. Uh, they treated you just like you were their their granddaughter also. You know it was very tight, very tight feeling. So those ladies were certainly an influence on me. As I got older, uh, I moved back to Pahuska actually for a bit. Uh, my husband worked at the Osage Tribal Museum. And I started taking lessons uh, that were offered at the museum in ribbon work and finger weaving. And again, just very self-motivated. I just wanted to, I just wanted to know your curiosity. I have, I'm very curious and and just when I look at something, I want to know how is that made? And so that's kind of what was pushing me towards that. So I took these classes at the Osage Museum and it was the same kind of thing. You know, these uh, older ladies who were masters at what they did, um, who just spent hours and hours and hours and hours of their life finger weaving, creating ribbon work for our traditional clothing, and then willing to share that, you know, with other uh, folks who were interested in order knowing that this is what's going to keep this moving forward. And so it was the same kind of thing. They were just so nurturing and, um, and lots of fun. We'd sit up there and laugh, you know, and um, just tease each other and that kind of thing. But they were also really taking care of you if you were younger, you know, they would. Um, so to me, it was, it was kind of this double-edged thing. They were like install, you know, instilling in you ways to be Osage Um Although, you know, that wouldn't be on the agenda, <laughs> you know, I mean, today that probably would be, but, um, it, it was just, it was just, it was just a way of being a way of, of, of how you moved information, you know, between folks. So they were a huge influence on me. Um, and I guess, uh, let me see. And then, you know, kind of as a younger woman, there were, there were lots of women that, you know, I knew and were acquainted with and, and that were just really, really uh, movers, you know, getting things done and knew how to organize and, and really get out there and make things happen. And some of those were like, like um, I worked for Cherokee Nation when I, was, when I was young. And of course, we were friends with Wilma Mankiller. And so Wilma was a, a woman like that, just you know, just knew exactly how to get things done pretty quickly. And so, um, and there were women in our community like that. Catherine Redcorn was one that I really admired and looked up to. Same type of person, you know, was going out in the world and really uh, making things happen. Right now, I'm totally blown away by the young Native artists that we have. Uh I feel like they are just, you know, exploding with their uh, creativity. And I really, I really like that they don't uh, have, I don't feel like, you know, much holds them back. And I, I kind of feel like when I was a young person, um, and I believe this is a generational thing, you know, for, for some of us is that, that, you know, we kind of held back. And I don't know if that was due to how we were talked to, how we were, you know, there were a lot of things that, well, we, we don't talk about that or we don't, we don't share that information or we don't, there were, you know, 
I'm not going to quite call them taboos, although there were those too, but um, I, I just, and I feel like that could hold you back a little bit sometimes as an artist, you know, in making these expressions. But I feel like the young people today are just really, really making some really um, wonderful work, you know, beautiful works, um, and just exploding, you know, with creativity. When I was in school, you know, like um, women like Jean, Quick to See Smith, um, Kay Walking Stick, you know, different women who are uh, a little bit older than me. I really admired what they were doing because it made me feel like if they can do it, I think I can do it. You mentioned uh, Wilma uh, Mankiller. Did did you personally know her? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Did you really? Mm. Yeah, yeah. My husband out in, out in like Alcatraz and all of that. Um, he 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 knew Wilma from from those days, and um, then when. I worked for Cherokee Nation, and then so then Wilma became chief. And even before she was chief, you know, she was there. But um, we hung around with a lot of the same, you know, people. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, oh, wow. I knew I knew Wilma. I really like your point about how um, the young people today they have this, um, and I don't mean this as a negative connotation, but they have this audacity now, you know, to be able to just present. Uh, themselves and their culture where even in the eighties and nineties for like myself when I was young, just didn't have that, um, that tenacity to be out there, uh, like mm-hmm. that. Um, I, I feel like I'm much more reserved than these young people and I'm so inspired by their courage and yeah, their willingness just to go out there and just, just be themselves. I am too. I mean, I, I think it's wonderful because you, you know, you see that expression, just explode. And so, um, I admire them a lot. And sometimes, you know, I'm not, and, and then, you know, social media, I mean, trying to keep up with that. I'm like, it's kind of like trying to turn the sound on for this or something. <laughs> I mean, I'll do okay if I stay at it all the time, but you know, the minute I let go for two or three weeks, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't even remember how to do that. But, um, <laughs> I, I enjoy that too, because I was telling young people, I said, I said, sometimes it was three months before you knew an exhibit was happening or before mm-hmm. you could get your hands on the catalog or it was just word of mouth, you know, that you knew that there was this exhibit happening on the West Coast or the East Coast or, um, you know, it was, it was very limiting. So, yeah. you know, we just have access to what's happening and it's great. Yeah. How have you developed your career, uh, both uh, in college and post-college? Okay, developing my career in college was devoting myself to uh, the classes that I really, really enjoyed, you know, and really felt a, a deep connection to. And so I was, I was, and like I said, I kind of started out and I've been, to, I, you know, gosh, I was trying to count them actually when I was doing this, like, you know, four or five schools. Sometimes they, I was there for a semester, sometimes I was there for a year or two, you know, and, um, so I was, so because of that, and because I started having a family, it, it was very difficult to kind of just start going and, and staying, you know, somewhere, uh, because you have to put food on the table, you know? And so I found myself working a lot of jobs sometimes, um, enabled, you know, 
to pay the bills and do that. But I finally decided when uh, I was, we lived in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and my husband was working for the state. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to finish school. But at all those colleges and at all those times, you know, I devoted myself to the classes that I felt were really, uh, I was really getting something out of them. And because I was an older student and I had so much going on at home, I just kind of like, I thought, well, I'll just get by these other classes. I mean, I didn't have the time to just, you know, study 24 seven and that kind of thing. But I did want to spend my time in the studios, uh, in the spaces that were offered to me, you know, during that time. And then, of course, you know, a network, having a network. Um, you know, I was I was uh, involved with, um, you know, a couple of organizations, a couple of networks. Atlatl. I don't know. Have you ever heard of Atlatl? I haven't. Okay. No. So th- th- that was a Native um, arts organization. Okay. And so I was involved with them. I was on the board with them. And that was this network, you know, of. Uh, sharing exhibitions, um, a newsletter kind of telling you, uh, you know, and by the way, that was a newsletter that was mailed to you, not online. And (laughs) (laughs) we're talking like, I mean, when I think about some of this stuff, um, ancient history, you know, and so that would, you know, grants that were available to you and all this kind of thing. And so, um, so, you know, always trying to network, you know, so that was a strategy. And also, um, I just had this revelation, you know, one time during that time period of um, just wanting to let everything go that I, that I didn't really want to do, you know. It was really difficult for me to work in a cubicle in an office that was not related to art you know, that, that, that was really hard for me to do. And so I found my outlet, you know, either by the studios in school or trying to find a community center that had a studio just in order that I could keep working. And so I made a commitment to myself that I was just going to stop doing all those kinds of things. And I was going to just do whatever it took to be an artist, because I felt like if you don't jump in there and do that, you're not going to ever even know if it would work for you or not. So that's exactly what I did, you know, and I actually, one of my strategies was to try to get a show at the Southern Plains Museum because they had those great catalogs, color catalogs, and they just had this enormous, a huge mailing list, you know, that they they went out everywhere. And so fortunately, I was able to land me an exhibit there. And I often think of that as a really a launching pad, you know, for my career. How have, how have opportunities presented themselves to you? I know like over our careers, um, they, they come in one form and as time moves on and a person sort of navigates themselves, um, they present themselves in different ways. Uh, would you be able to, mm-hmm. to speak on that? Sure. They come in all kinds of ways, all sorts of ways. Um, Sometimes it's just very uh, serendipitous how it happens. And it's, it's, um, 
oh my gosh, it's it's kind of strange because a couple of times, like in the studio, I'll just be thinking about um, a particular institution or a person or something. You know, I'll just I'll just kind of be thinking about you know random thoughts. I guess is what you would want to call it. And then maybe two or three days later, you know, I hear from that person and it's an opportunity. So that's, that's happened to me three or four times like that. But otherwise, um, you know, of course, applying to things, you know, for opportunities. Um, they just come in all kinds of ways. Uh, at this stage in my career, I, you know, people contact me and want to do a studio visit and then we, you know, have a discussion and then that might lead to something. It might not, you know, it just depends. Um, currently I'm with the Tulsa Artist Fellowship and there's lots of opportunities when curators, you know, come through and, and you visit with them. And sometimes, you know, they may not find a fit for you for two or three years. So, um, and then of course, you know, within all of that, I do all kinds of things, um, you know, within the arts world, I do projects like, you know, here at the Tulsa Artists Fellowship, we have, a, a opportunity to make proposals. And so make a proposal and, you know, and do certain projects, which I think I was going to kind of talk about that later on when you were asking about what you're currently doing, but, um, I, I would say that there's not just one set way that, you know, how and where I land happens, which makes it kind of uh, exciting, I always feel like. So what what would you, what do you want to say to the, the 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? I want to say... Follow your heart, follow your dreams. If you want to be an artist, there's nothing holding you back. Um, do whatever it takes. Um, I once had a one of my mentors when I was young who was very passionate about arts education uh, told one of her financial backers for this big festival that she said, um, the artist I know could make art without art supplies. She said they could go out into the, she was proposing this festival in this park. She said they could go through this park and find things to make things with. And she said, so we're going to have this festival, <laughs> you know, whether you fund us or not. <laughs> and, uh, but that's kind of, you know, I liked her point is that um, we can make out art out of all kinds of things. So that, you know, what I'm trying to say is if it's really hard for you to procure um, materials, you know, there's all kinds of ways to get those. Because I know it can be difficult starting out. Things like materials are very expensive today, and but I, you know, I wouldn't want anything to uh, discourage somebody from pursuing their dream, and you know, be adventurous. Do what it takes. If you have work that's based in research, do your research. Um, that kind of didn't start happening for me till later you know, where I started kind of pairing, well, I need to do some research on what I'm thinking about. And it opened up a whole another world to me, you know, in terms of, uh, and, and think about the connections, you know, that, that what motivates you in how you think about your work, um, 
you know, what, what themes do you want to follow? You know, think about all kinds of different ways to pursue that. You know, sometimes it's in archives, sometimes it's um, just reading, you know, getting inspiration from reading poetry or native literature. Um, that's something that I do quite often. Um, and I would say honor your ability to be able to, to make and create, um, that that is a gift. And that, that, that if you have that gift, you need to honor that. So what, so what do you have going on right now? What's, what's com coming up for you? Okay. Right now, like I said earlier, I'm with the Tulsa Artist Fellowship and I have been here for, I'm going into my sixth year. And within that, like I said, you have the opportunity to, uh, to make proposals and, and work on different projects. So uh, one of the projects that I'm working on currently is called War Club, and I'm collaborating with my son, um, the painter Yadika Fields, and he is also a fellow. So we've been we've been blessed to be uh, in the same fellowship for all of this time, um, which is great because you know he lived outside of Oklahoma from the time he was 18 till till now, and so. War Club is an intergenerational uh, project that honors the work of um, um, people who um, have stood up and fought for our rights, activists. So we look at activists from the past and then activists today and then how and where art inter intersects um, those points because art is a big part of that. And so we've had a series of panels, and um, my son Yadika makes these um, contemporary war clubs out of wood, then he paints them. And so then we give our participants, our panelists, we give them one of those war clubs, and then he takes a portrait with, of them. And so we're uh, accumulating these portraits of different activists holding the war club. And then we have the panel discussion or whatever activity is we're having, you know, while they're there. And these will be shown in an exhibition um, and a publication. Uh, that will be, you know, how we uh, culminate the rest, the rest of that project. I'm also right now working on um, a piece that is for the St. Louis Biennial, sponsored by Counter Public, and kind of working night and day, one of those deals on that. Um, so it, it opens in a month and it's, it's very exciting. I'm excited and very honored to be asked to be a part of that. I'm also collaborating with my youngest son, who's a musician, um, for sound for that. We have done something similar last year. He provided sound for an installation, a community led, a community, a community-based installation called uh, Absence of Gathering, which was another Tulsa Artist Fellowship project. And that was made during COVID. And so I uh, handed out these um, packets that had all the art materials for people to come and pick up and then had a place for them to return. And this was, a, you know, like an exchange where we didn't have to talk to each other and um, I, I just sat at a desk and about 10 feet in front of that, you know, had a place where they could pick up and drop off. And then 
in the studio, you know, combined those all together. But so he provided the sound for that based on how people were taking a lot, you know, you read a lot about people taking walks and listening to nature. And so him and I both started recording nature, you know, during these walks. And then we thought about how to incorporate that sound, that type of sound into um, the visual of the installation. So I work, you know, I work on five or six things actually at a time, which can kind of sometimes get hard to do. And where, where can our listener or, yeah, where can our listener find, find your work? Okay, so my website is, I didn't write it down here, anitafieldsart.com. And I also show at um, uh, the King Gallery in Santa Fe. I don't know what is there currently at this moment, but folks can always contact me uh, through my website. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll put links in the show notes for for our listener to, to check you out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, one, one last question. Um, I think because, um, first American art magazine sort of brought us together in this context. Um, can, can we just, um, maybe, uh, talk about that experience 10 years ago when you were invited to be on there, your memories of that experience? Well, I, I remember just, you know, first of all, I'm so proud of America. I mean, she just, you know, is, is a force um, yes. and, and just doing such a fabulous things. There are folks here in Oklahoma um, that just uh, keep things moving, you know, keep things going. And, um, and she is one of those. Um, so I'm, I'm really uh, grateful for the work that she does. And then also through the magazine, you know, and seeing it, uh, you know, how it's developed into um, this super magazine that, you know, just, I really like, and this is what, you know, her magazine does this, is because I'm probably not going to have the opportunity to travel to South America to see some of these craftspeople that are highlighted or to, you know, way north. And, and it's, it's all there, you know, we can, we can have that experience through her sharing those kinds of uh, stories and um, processes that artists have, you know, that are very, um, as indigenous people, you know, we're similar, but not familiar, you know, so much sometimes with other people's communities. So I, I love the magazine, you know, because of that aspect. But I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, you know, America's starting this magazine. <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. Um, no surprise, you know. Nope. Um, but I just felt like I was like, this is so awesome. This is, this is really cool, you know, because I think, you know, that all of us should keep telling our stories no matter what, uh, no matter what story it is. It's so important because our history has been so suppressed and folks just are not familiar with our histories. Uh, I mean, I can you know, go outside of my apartment here, you know, on my way to the studio and maybe meet somebody who's not familiar with Native people. And they have no idea that this many tribes reside in Oklahoma or the history of how 
people um, got here, you know, the tragic stories that are associated with that. And so I think that that magazine holds one of those places where our stories can be told. And that's another thing I want to say to young people is that, you know, just keep telling our stories. They're all, I always think of it as kind of like a big puzzle and everybody has a little piece, piece of that, you know, and if we just keep telling our stories, you know, we could complete that puzzle someday. That's beautiful. Really well said. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for America for setting this up and yeah. for the work that she's yeah. doing. That, that magazine yeah. is, is something very special. It is. It totally is. Well, this was, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for your time and sharing it here. Well, I'm just delighted to be asked to be on your program. And um, it's very nice meeting you. Someday I hope we can meet in person. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Anita again for her time and sharing her story with us. This was a lot of fun to be able to sit down with Anita and talk about uh, not just her career, but what she's currently working on. It's, it's always wonderful to be able to sit down with someone who really feels like a relative, uh, who has put the time in both in their work and their community, and is just really in touch with what's happening just really warms me to be able to to share that space and to listen to what what they have to say and in this case Anita um, just just a wonderful conversation and I I really look forward to uh, connecting with her again in Oklahoma in October uh, for ATOM more about that to come but it it was it was really nice and I really appreciated uh, her time and being able to share that with us Uh, this this is a definitely a better program and very rich experience uh, being able to do that. So, uh, Nita, again, thank you so much for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but before before we move on uh, to the outros, I also want to thank uh, America Meredith and the First American Art Magazine uh, for this collaboration that we're working on. Um, it's their 10th anniversary of their magazine. Uh, they've been doing incredible stories and features and networking our community together for 10 years now. And the the art world is so much better with this with, with this magazine, and I'm honored that our podcast is able to connect with them. Uh, this is part one of a four part series. Uh, we are uh, in celebration with with First American Art Magazine, and so next week uh, we're going to be joined by Aaron Shaw, uh, which was a great conversation as well. And so I really look forward to that. Uh, I know you will too. So please. Join us next week as we continue this this collaboration with First American Art Magazine. I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please, join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on our Facebook page, our Instagram page as well, uh, under 5 Plain Questions Podcast, or at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. If you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please reach out to me either on Facebook or at the webpage. Uh, my email is jwilliams.plainsart.org. Show me a message. I'd like to hear from you. Uh, a suggestion for an artist or just to connect. It'd be really great to hear from you. Well, that's it. Um, you take care and we will see you next week. This has been an 11 Warrior.